Well, like I said a few weeks ago, uh, we're going to take a break from our study in Ephesians, and we're going to start a new uh, sort of winter break series. I know we're not on winter break yet, but uh, we kind of are in my mind. Uh, it's, it feels like it's, it's already on break, just in light of the weirdness of the semester and uh, a lot of people going home already. So we're going to launch into a new study uh, for December and then for about half of January, and then we'll launch back into our study on Ephesians whenever we reconvene with everybody. So what are we studying? What is the theme? <clears throat> That's a good question. And until this morning, I didn't even have an answer. So I had uh, three or four things that were floating around, and I was kind of dabbling, but um, I landed this morning, and we're going to look at a topic of what the Bible describes as the fear of man. Okay, the fear of man. So in Scripture, one of the most dominant questions that we find is, whom will you fear? Whom will you fear? Will you fear God, or will you fear people? And really, the question is a question about worship. So, to whom are, going to, are we going to render worship? To whom will we submit? Uh, who will we seek to please? Will we seek to please God, or will we seek to please people? And I chose this topic because, one, I've never personally done an in-depth study on the fear of man. So when these situations happen, I just kind of pick the thing I want to study, and then we get after it. Um, but actually, it's because most, if not all, people are plagued by the fear of man. Um, we're plagued by it, but we don't even realize it. It's, it's one of those sort of root sins that are, that are operating under the surface. It's causing us all kind of, of problems. Uh, and it comes up again and again as I just seek to shepherd folks in, at TBC and the church uh, in here in Boundless. And so I wanted to, t- to take some time and um, just develop this out. And just like many of you, I've definitely had and continue to still have uh, battles with the fear of man. Uh, studies like these are really helpful for my own soul. Uh, they're so sanctifying because the Lord uses it to expose fresh areas in my own life in a study like this. So uh, that was part of the reason that I wanted to study it as well. So, uh, if we're speaking of just how insidious the fear of man can be, uh, I'll just share a story with you guys. I had one of my largest battles with the fear of man, probably my second largest battle. You're going to say, what is your first largest battle with the fear of man? Uh, My second largest battle with the fear of man a few years ago. Um, As many of you know, our church is part of a network of about 11 other churches uh, networked with the Expositor Seminary. It's a tremendous privilege to work with these, these other churches and these other pastors that train men for ministry. And every summer, the main campus pastors and professors, they all gather together at one of the campuses. It's sort of like, they call it the Pastor's Summit, the TS Pastor's Summit. And they fellowship, and they plan for the next year, and there's just, it's just sort of a, a sweet time for these guys. It's one of the things they look forward to all year. Well, it was our turn to host these men, okay? Our turn at TBC. So they would rotate. They would visit the campuses. It would be a chance for them to get to know the individual campuses and see the facilities and all that stuff. And I'm not the most organized guy, but Pastor Brian asked me to oversee all the logistics for this event. Uh, He put me in charge of their entire experience when they come to Timberlake. That meant I needed to be the logistics guy. I needed to find a, a nice place for them to stay that could accommodate a lot of men. Um, I needed to arrange transportation. I needed to figure out meals, figure out if there's a chef going to come in. They had a kind of experience they were, they were, trying, they were aiming for, so I was, had to coordinate all this stuff. And that's not really in my wheelhouse, kind of coordinate these kinds of things. But that's okay. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts. It felt... Um, you know, a little bit overwhelming, but that's just part of my own weakness. And uh, it was all riding on me as far as the logistics. And that, that doesn't sound like very much, especially to some of you who are very good multitaskers. And it's kind of like, ah, oh, I would love to do that. Uh, it's definitely not me. But there's just one problem in this scenario. These pastors are the men who trained me. And they're probably the men that I most esteem in the world. Okay? Just to give you some perspective. They're some of the most godly men in my experience I've ever met. 
which means they're the people most in this world that I'm tempted to fear. And their experience of our church was, to some extent, riding on my ability to organize our summit. And not just of our church, but their perception of me, right? One of the graduates of Expositor Seminary. And I wanted to make sure that we put our best foot forward for these guys. I wanted Pastor Brian to be pleased. You know, I just, just, I just felt a lot of pressure, on, and that was all self-induced. So, so far, so good. But as the days drew near to this summit, something weird started happening to me that doesn't normally happen. I started waking up in the middle of the night, like from a dead sleep, paranoid about my checklist for the summit. And I, I don't get paranoid about a lot of things. It's just not really, I, I struggle with other things, but really that's not one of them. But I would wake up and I, I would be in a cold sweat you know, thinking about this summit, going over the checklists over and over and over in my mind again. I kept envisioning worst-case scenarios, trying to develop contingency plans for those worst-case scenarios, and on and on it went. And then about two days before the, the, the men were supposed to arrive, I found out that our house had one less bed than it was supposed to have. So that meant I had just enough beds for all the guys, so that meant one of the guys was not going to have a bed. So, you know, that sent me scrambling to try to figure out what are we going to do. I'm not going to put them on an air mattress. That's pretty hokey, you know. So I'm just trying to, trying to figure all this stuff out. Well, I think that w- what I began to see is that my anxiety and the preoccupation that I had for this event was like off the charts. I was short with my wife. Uh, I was preoccupied in my family time. And I just felt like a crushing pressure and fear. And the Lord helped me see in that process that what I was struggling with was actually the fear of man. I esteemed these men that I had gone overboard from just good general esteem. I had begun to, in my heart, worship these men. I wanted them to think well of me. I wanted to, I I thought I had placed them above Christ and and the fruit of my life was telling on me at that point. I was anxious. I was frustrated, I was short, I was preoccupied. And so, that's just one example of many that I could cite for you in just my own battle with fear of man. The Lord helped me identify that, begin to mortify that, even in the, the few days before the, the event happened, everything went fine. Um, and the Lord was super gracious in the event. But that was probably one of the biggest exposés, really, of my own heart. And so... It's pervasive. My point in telling that story is it's pervasive, and it even infects, all, it infects us all. So what I want to really do tonight is, is overview this topic of the fear of man, just like kind of wade into it a bit, and then we're going to develop it out more in weeks to come. And just as a bit of a, of a forewarning um, in this, this first lesson, is this, what, it, what it's going to feel like tonight is just a lot of conviction. Maybe, maybe some exposure of your heart and your life that you may have never really connected these dots before. And you've, you may have never realized how big of an issue this, this could be in your life. And I just want to encourage you on the front end that if that's happening, that's a really good thing. Because the, the end goal of that, the end result of God exposing you, is joy and peace and fruitfulness on the other side of this thing. So, if we're going to get there, we have, to, we have to have the exposure. It has to take place first in our lives so we can press into that and press through that. So, um, hopefully tonight we're just going to overview this topic, kind of x-ray the fear of man, look at it, and see how, how it may manifest itself in our lives and why it's so dangerous. So, where we're going, you know, you know we don't have a PowerPoint, I don't even have a handout for you, but it, all we're doing is asking and answering three questions. That's it. So, it should be pretty, pretty easy for you, okay? We're going to ask and answer three questions about the fear of man tonight. So, number one, what is the fear of man? We're going to try to identify it and understand what it is. We need to know what it is, right? We've got to be able to define it, articulate it. So, what do you think it is? How would you define the fear of man? Okay. You're involved, and there are people involved. Okay? Afraid of 
Yeah. It's really good. Afraid of what people think of you, your, how you appear. What other things might you be afraid of in a, in a fear of man scenario? ideas. I was looking through some resources even today, and I found this paragraph to be really, really helpful out of a book that I was, um, a book I was reading, and it's a book by Ed Welch called When People Are Big and God is Small. And here's what he says. He says, many, and he's a counselor who's been doing this for years, he says, many of the people I've talked to um, had an awakening when they saw the controlling power of other people the controlling power of other people. They awoke to an epidemic of the soul called, in biblical language, the fear of man. Although they were avowed worshipers of the true God, below the surface they feared other people. That is not to say that they were terrified by or afraid of others, although they sometimes were. Fear, in the biblical sense, is a much broader word. I think this is really helpful. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. And here's this crystallization. He says, however you put it, the fear of man can be summarized this way. We replace God with people. We replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. So what did you hear in that definition? What are some things that stuck out to you? About the fear of man. Holding people in awe. This is a bit broader than maybe how you would think of fear generally. Yeah. It's helpful when you parallel it with the command to fear God. Right? The fear of man is the opposite of fearing God. And the, the title of this book, I think, really captures the idea when people are big and God is small. So we've got the reverse thing going on. People are huge in our eyes and we fear them and God is tiny. We don't fear him when it's actually the reverse. God should be huge and we should fear him. <laughs> and that puts people in perspective. So we've reversed that and that's the essence of idolatry, isn't it? It's the essence of, of false worship, where we, we worship the creature rather than the creator, as Paul says in, in Romans 1. So it includes being afraid of someone, uh, Dr. Welch says, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people, or needing people. So there's a lot of examples of this um, in Scripture. You think of Abraham, when he was afraid of um, Pharaoh, and they're going to Egypt. What does he do? He lies. The half-lie. Half-lies to the lie. So, yeah, he, he, uh, he shades the truth a bit about Sarah being a sister. King uh, takes her. King realizes he's been duped because God reveals it to him. And then, you know, all the, all the things there. But the point is that Abraham, patriarch of the faith, was afraid the circumstance he was afraid he was afraid of a, of a particular situation of a man and so that that motivated him to lie so you see again it's a sort of a root more of a root issue there um, how about Aaron the priest remember Aaron so there Moses goes up on the mountain people of Israel get antsy what do they ask Aaron to do build an idol right so Aaron you think is a pretty good guy like 
It's been pretty faithful up to this point. And Aaron completely caves to the pressure of the people. So what's happening there? Aaron's fearing man. So he fashions this idol um, out of gold. And it's a, it's a sad story, but it's kind of comical because he, he does what we all say. Well, I just threw the gold in there and out popped this, popped this calf. You know, it's kind of how we treat sin sometimes. Like, oh, how it happened? I just, I guess, chose to craft the idol, you know. But So that's Aaron in Exodus 32. He's uh, an example of him who fears man. About Samson, right? In this case, he feared woman, right? And uh, caved to the pressures of his wife and um, ended up caving to, to that. And we, we know all the devastation that, 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 that was caused there. But what I want you to focus in on, which I think is really pretty interesting, is the example of Peter. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2. Because I think, you know, with all those Old Testament saints, you know, we could say, well, maybe, you know, they were immature or they didn't have the spirit or not sure if they were, you know, not sure where they were at at that point. But here is Peter, who is an apostle. And this is Paul's testimony of what happened whenever he came to Jerusalem and had to confront, I'm I'm sorry, uh, when Peter came to Antioch and he had to confront Peter because of Peter's fear of man. Look in um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul here is, is going through in this chapter, articulating his, um, his ministry and how he was received when he went to Jerusalem and sort of trying to validate his ministry to the Galatians. And he says in, in chapter 2, verse 11, he said, But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, when he came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So what's going on here? Um, in the early church, the biggest problem I think that they faced, maybe that's an overstatement, but a, a large problem that the early church faced was the, the integration of Jew and Gentile into the church. Because the Jews had kind of been educated one way and a lot of pressure on them to observe the law. And Christ had come and he had fulfilled the law. And now Gentiles were coming in and they, they didn't have to become Jews to become Christians. And they didn't have to... to observe all of the ceremonial things of the law, you know, coming in, as Jews kind of had felt obligated to do. So, even Christian Jews could still fulfill that as long as they weren't placing their hope or their righteousness in the fulfillment of the law. Um, And many of them did. So there was just a lot of um, conflict in these early days of the church around these issues. And a lot of pressure from Jewish Christians uh, for the Jews, Jewish, other Jewish Christians, to continue their customs of the law. And so much pressure that even an apostle who understood the fulfillment and understood that even as a Jew he wasn't bound to the law uh, still caved to the pressure of the fear of man and to the, even to the discouragement of some of these Gentiles. So because of Peter's own fear that was unmortified at this point, um, he showed preferential treatment to other Jews that came down and dissociated from the Gentiles that he was eating with out of fear of those other Jews. So my, my point in this is that it's so insidious, it can even affect an apostle. And yet the Lord was so faithful to bring his brother Paul into this scenario and rebuke Peter publicly for this and get him back on the right track. So, uh, again, just my, my point here is, uh, as we're thinking about it biblically, is it, it's insidious and it leads to, it leads to other, other sin patterns. Now, I think just... We're still on our first question, what is the fear of man? I think it's important to maybe try to identify how this concept uh, pops up in the culture and how the culture talks about the fear of man. So the culture is obviously not biblically informed, so they're not going to be using the Bible's categories. So the scripture talks about, I mean, we, we hear this, or I'm sorry, the culture talks about this in all the ways that they're not, it's not wrong for us to, 
to use the terms, but we just need to know where they come from. It talks about people pleasing, right? I'm a people pleaser. Uh, and oftentimes that, that doesn't have the same weight that the fear of man has in just the, the term. Like, oh yeah, I just, I, I please people. That's just kind of what I do. I'm a beaver or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. So I'm not going to go that route. But people pleasing, you get the idea. You want to please people. You want to make people happy. And that's kind of what you do. Maybe a little more negative connotation would be the term codependency. You guys heard that? Yeah? Codependency? It just means uh, the definition of this term is just that codependency is an excessive reliance on other people for approval and a sense of identity. So it's typically negative when it's talked about. Like it's it's something that you struggle with and have to learn to cope with and and we're going to try to help you, um, I guess, I don't know what they would say, grow out of that. But it's an excessive reliance on other people. More, it's they. In what my just cursory reading on it this afternoon, it seemed to be was that, that, that more of the treatments were for people who are who are being depended on to kind of stand up for themselves, right, and like not not give in to not continue to um, let people take advantage of them. So codependency is really just the fear of man, uh, and that and that's that's operating there. Peer pressure is another word that we use. We talk about a lot. Um, which is, you know what this is, but for sake of definition, uh, it's the direct influence on people by peers. Uh, or the effect on an individual who gets encouraged to follow their peers by changing their attitudes, their values, or behaviors to conform to those of the influencing group or individual. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, it's just pressure put on people by other people, uh, by your peers, right? Um, and we've all experienced this. Uh, anyway, just just being aware, the Bible would describe this as if you're caving to this, it's because you struggle with the fear of man. And then another term is just thrown around is a, a lack of self-esteem. You have a lack of self-esteem. So there's a you don't think highly enough of yourself, and so all these struggles that you're having are, are a result of that. And that is that is not true, um, and it's connected to the idea of the fear of man well as we'll see in a bit so just trying to trying to get at what this concept means in scripture and kind of help pan this out a bit just the fear of man is when we replace God with people and it includes uh, being mastered by people so we're controlled by other people worshiping them there's the answer to our first question second question is how do I know if I struggle with the fear of man so what what might be some diagnostics or some indicators um, if I struggle with the fear of man, what would you say? How might you triage that or, or see that you, that you struggle with the fear of man? Think check engine light in your car. I think you need to take the car into be tuned up. Great. Uh, Ryan said, are you a different person in one venue as you, to a, versus a different venue? So like in church versus at home? Or yeah, the, are you hypocritical? Right? It's great. It's a great diagnostic feature. Because that might reveal that you fear one group and you want one group to think a certain way of you, so you're going to act a certain way around that group. Yeah. Which the Bible would describe as the fear of man. Good. What might be some other indicators? Okay. Sure. Yeah, how we're responding to situations that maybe even sinfully could be traced back to that root of the fear of man. For sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts?
Yeah, please. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and that, that's something that I thought about talking about, too, not just, just piggybacking off what you said. That there is, in the Bible, a category of pleasing people that's good and righteous. And so we'll talk about that, and I don't have that for this week, but we'll talk about that in a future week. Um, that distinct, how do we distinguish between those two things? But yeah, that could be an indicator. You know, if you're, if you're living, if you're kind of, all of your world is around pleasing her, and you're destroyed if she's not pleased, yeah, that would be an idolatrous fear of man. Yeah. Or woman. Fear of person. By the way, the Bible uses the term man for men and women. Okay? And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Moving on. Well, good. Uh, here's, these are some of the, the ones that are going to overlap with what you guys said, uh, but I'll, I'll give you a few. Actually, a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow. All right, number one, we're easily influenced by others. We're easily influenced by others. So if we've ever struggled with peer pressure, that's what we were just talking about. Um, this is probably where you're at. Do you conform to the desires of those around you, even when you know it's not the best decision to do? You likely desire their approval, and you fear their rejection. And this is what the Bible calls the fear of man. So just, just again, to be clear, if you're, if you're dominated by this, it's, this is a worship issue. So we're going to get to that in a minute, but just, just reminding that we can't, we can't fear man and God at the same time. So this is sort of functionally where you're at. So are you easily influenced by others? Uh, do you struggle to say no? That would be number two. Do you struggle to say no? <clears throat> so do you find it hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? Are you overcommitted? Um, often this is motivated by an inordinate desire to please other people. Somebody comes to you, they want you to do something, and you know that you probably shouldn't in terms of just commitment-wise, but you don't want to let that person down, so you agree to do it and it complicates other areas in your life. You may even be unfaithful in another area of your life because you took that because you wanted to please that person. So struggling to say no often reveals that we're fearing people. Uh, Making demands. Making demands, number three. Making demands. So do you need things from your friends? Do you need them to listen to you? Do you need them to respect you? Do you need them to show you love in a certain way? And I would encourage you to redefine the word need as you demand your friends to love you in certain ways, to respect you in ways, to show you love in certain ways. Because that's really what it is. Is your love tank empty? That's kind of a thing that floats around. You know, I'm, I'm, my love tank's empty. Uh, these kinds of needs, like I just said, are actually demands, and they often reveal a desire to be approved by other people. And thinking, I can't flourish unless I have this fear of man met in my, through my demands. And obviously, if we don't get them, it's not pretty, right? When we don't get our demands, uh, sin happens. We're short with people. We blow up. We end friendships, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, fearing exposure would be another way. Fearing exposure, number four. So do you ever feel like you might be exposed as an imposter? Say like at a work meeting or in a group project. You may alter what you say or, or say very little in hopes that you won't be exposed as inferior or not as like up to snuff with everybody else. And uh, again, just... I, I saw this a lot in my own life in seminary, when I was in seminary. We were connected to all these other campuses, and we're all in the classroom together, and then it's time to, time to talk or interact, and I was just kind of, I felt inferior to the guys, and at the time I didn't recognize it, but what that was was the fear of man operating. And so it, it altered how I interacted, even in the classroom, because, of, because I, I feared, um, I felt inferior, and I, I feared being exposed as like not up to snuff with everybody else. So fearing exposure is another great um, diagnostic. Number five, 
uh, struggling to make decisions. Struggling to make decisions. Do you frequently second-guess decisions because of what people might think of you? Or are you paralyzed in decision-making because you can't please everybody? Right? So you might have best friend wants you to do option X, sibling wants you to do option Y, and you just going to let one of them down. And so you're paralyzed because you want to please both. Why do you do that? Well, it's because you want their esteem and you fear losing it. It's what the Bible, again, we call a fear of man. So number, what are we on? Six? In my outline, there are letters. So I'm having to... At this point, I'm done. I don't know what the numerical value of the letters are. Past F. I'm on F. Yeah, so F. Uh, do, you sh- do you shade the truth? Shading the truth, I think, is a, is a pretty obvious way that reveals that we fear men. So do you lie? Do you, especially those little white lies, you know, kind of like Abraham? Do you shade the truth to make yourself look better? Or to cover up shame in front of other people? So we often lie because we're afraid. We're afraid of harm. We're afraid of exposure. We're afraid of rejection. But this is all still motivated by the fear of man. Um, it's not motivating every lie, but lots of a, a large category of them, I would, I would say. So if you, if you find yourself shading the truth in certain, certain scenarios, it's a, it's, a, it's a telltale sign. Uh, letter G. What are we on? Number seven. Uh, being preoccupied with perceptions, or just preoccupied with perceptions. Number seven, preoccupied with perceptions. So do you frequently talk about your accomplishments in front of other people? That's like kind of coming out every now and again. You kind of weave one into the, to the narrative conversation. Um, you like to story top. You know, you hear of you see one of your friends is telling a story, and you immediately think of your own story, and you're like, this is better than that story, and I'm going to tell it. As soon as they stop talking, I'm going to get in there and show how much better my story is. I can't help but think of the me monster. Is what I'm talking about. Ryan Reed? Yeah. You can look that up on YouTube when we're done and get a good laugh. Um, or maybe you don't ever talk about yourself out of the fear that someone thinks you're proud. You go the other way, right? You're going you're gonna to rein it back in because you're not, man, you're not going to be that guy. But maybe what's, what's still motivating you is this sort, of, this sort of desire to, this fear of man that wants people to think well of you because what's valued in that scenario is sort of this sort of humility, this sort of false humility that, that you're going to try to present. Have you ever been timid to share the gospel because an unbeliever might think you're foolish? Fear of man. Are you obsessed with physical fitness, dieting, weightlifting, fill in the blank, because you're consumed with how others view you and you feel insecure? Are you easily embarrassed? You may be ruled by the fear of man. You're preoccupied. There's a dominating sense of, of how you're perceived by others. It's dominating your life. And likely this worship of people is at the very heart of this struggle. Uh, another diagnostic. Whichever <clears throat> one we're on. Struggling to confront. Letter H, number 8, I think. Struggling to confront. So do you allow people to perpetually take advantage of you instead of having the hard conversation with that person? And this is the difference between what one guy calls a, a peace lover versus a peacemaker. Do you love peace, and so you're unwilling to disturb it, even when it needs to be? Or are you a peacemaker, where you're willing to confront in order to get to forgiveness and reconciliation? So, do you struggle to confront? Uh, would, you, would you rather main, people maintain a good opinion of you, instead of honestly and painfully dealing with the problem? 
So I think often we're in that category. We want people to maintain a good opinion of us and just are willing to kind of like let things ride so we think, but we're actually being hurt. There's bitterness taking root. And our fear of man is sort of preventing us from, from making that, from confronting in a biblical way in order to be, for forgiveness to take place and reconciliation to happen. So struggling to confront, uh, number nine would be responding wrongly to correction. Responding wrongly to correction. So, sort of the other end of the stick. So you're confronted. Are you depressed by the critiques of others? Are you defensive by those critiques? Or maybe you're zealous to correct your mistakes. So on the other side of the spectrum, okay, you're, you're zealous to correct your mistakes... And then you're, you anxiously work to, to, to kind of get back in the good graces of whoever it was that you think were displeased with you. So you're sort of anxiously working to, to get back in their favor so you can, you can end this, this dissonance in your own heart. On either side of that, you know, being depressed or responding defensively or whatever, or just kind of like hardcore working to get back in the good graces, I think that's still operative. Like the fear of man is still operative there um, in our hearts as we respond wrongly to correction. Number 10 uh, is you pretend at church. To get into what Ryan was saying a bit earlier. Pretending at church is just hypocrisy, okay? And as ironic as this is, the church is like the most common place that the fear of man is like put on display. Right? It's, it's rife with the fear of man. So we often pretend everything's fine when it's not. Um, so why are we hesitant to share our sin struggles with those that could help us in those sin struggles? Because we're often dominated by the opinions of other people. And we want to be held in high esteem by them. And so we pretend the church or some level of it. Number 11... <clears throat> We love the praises of others. We love them. We love the praises of others. So do you sometimes fish for compliments? Do you sometimes put yourself down in the hopes that others will disagree with your own assessment and praise you? So how about when your teacher is... is is you know you've all done your group projects and she's or he's up there talking about this one group that did a great job and it's your group and you're secretly hoping he mentions your name explicitly. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you find your heart just like longing for that. And I think that's the, the love of praise. Like the Pharisees, our, our love for the praises of men often reveal that we're not living for the praise of God the glory of God. So do you love the praise of others? And then last one, 12, I think. Showing favoritism. Showing favoritism. I think somebody mentioned this earlier. Showing favoritism. We often play favorites because some people can give us what we want better than other people can. You know what I'm talking about? Being approved by more important people, quote-unquote, makes you feel important too. And then we base our value in the assessments of others, which reveals that we are living in the fear of man. So sometimes our most tempting circumstances come when we're around the people that we esteem the most. Like in my case, with those good and godly men of the Exposure Seminary. We're tempted to show favoritism or to to, to court the favor of those that we esteem highly. And so I'm sure, like like me, you're able to identify with some of these and uh, it hits close to home. And that's great. That's That's a good thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, you might be thinking at this point, okay, well, okay, Clay, you're telling me this is bad and I see these things in my life, but I'm not completely convinced that these are terrible things. Like, it don't seem that bad. 
So we're going to ask our third question. Why is it dangerous? Why is it dangerous for us to fear others? When we fear other people, why is that a dangerous thing for our souls? All right, that's our, that's our last question of the evening. What do you think? How would you answer that right now? Why is it dangerous for us to fear other people? Yep. Totally. Prevents you from doing what's right, if you're listening on the recording. Prevents you from doing what's right, what David said. Slows you down in your service of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a worship issue, and that's the most fundamental thing, um, fundamental sin <laughs> that we can commit, is when we're worshiping false gods. Uh, so yeah, it's very dangerous for our souls. Any other thoughts? Yeah, the Bible actually uses the language of pleasing people in a positive sense. So, there is a category for when we please people, but it's always unto the end of pleasing God. Make sense? So, um, God is always the ultimate focus of pleasing other people in a positive way. So, I want to please my wife for the sake of the glory of God. Right? I want to please my pastors unto the sake of honoring them for the glory of God. You know, it's not, I'm not, it's not really about me and my glory in like a self-exalting kind of way when I'm thinking about it the right way. So why is it dangerous to fear others? <clears throat> All right? You can write down Proverbs 29.25. <clears throat> Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. The fear of man lays a snare. Now, it's not telling us why it's a snare, but it's telling us that it is a snare. So, the idea is that when we fear people above God, the imagery here is that we're like an animal in a trap. Like, caught uh, in the snare. We were baited in. The bait looked good. And... We it clasped on our leg or whatever it was or reached in with our hand, it, it, it caught us. It was a trap. So in other words, I think what this Proverb, Proverbs 29, 25 is saying is that fearing people is incredibly dangerous for us. Like it's a snare. It's the opposite of freedom and joy that we find in fearing God. Another way we can say that. So what are some examples of those dangers? Okay. Well, it's, it's really important that we, we sink our teeth down in, into the dangers. And it's a good practice to do this anyway when you're thinking about sin. To think through, why is this dangerous? What does the Bible say about the danger of the sin? Because what that does is that actually begins to motivate you to deal with the sinful fear of man that you've seen in your heart. Because it's hard to deal with. I'm not going to pretend like it goes away easily. It puts up a fight. So you, you're going to have to do some hard heart work if you're going to repent of this. And so what's going to get you through that? What's going to motivate you through that? It's the, the warnings and the blessings, okay, that Scripture provides. So it's, it's really, right now, we're just focusing negatively on the fear of man. So I want, I want you just to focus in on the warnings here. Um, <clears throat> we're often deceived in thinking that the fear of man isn't that dangerous or destructive. We think it isn't that displeasing to God. We believe it doesn't derail us too much. But these are all lies. So, what are some of the dangers? Number one, we are incapable of believing the gospel unless we recognize and repent of our fear of man. We are incapable of actually believing the gospel unless we recognize and repent of our fear of man. 
John 5, 44. If you will, turn there. We're kind of hopping around. John 5, 44. This is in the midst of an incredible section in the Gospel of John where he's interacting with these um, Pharisees, I believe it is. And they are hardened, and they're not listening to what Jesus is saying. And I'll jump in in verse 39, chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. And it is, th- it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I love this. We're going to come back to this in the end. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Key in here. How can you believe How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So the question Jesus poses to these Pharisees how can you believe? If you're consumed with the fear of man, if you're consumed with receiving glory from men, in other words, you can't believe. They're antithetical to one another. Now, how is that? If you are consumed by the fear of man, meaning this is the driving force of your life, it's what you live for. If your life revolves exclusively around the praise of men, Jesus says that this lust for man's approval crowds out saving faith. When Christ comes to us in the gospel, he first exposes us. People who love to be well thought of, people like the Pharisees who love to be viewed as righteous, and we all have this streak in us, don't think you're exempt from this, People like this have to have their hypocrisy exposed before they come to Christ. Because they won't perceive their need. We have to repudiate pride and come to the Lord seeking His mercy, seeking His righteousness alone. And people who are consumed with the praises of men, who love the praise of men, who are enslaved to the opinions of others, won't do this because it's what they have to give up. They won't expose themselves. The Pharisees would rather kill Jesus than humble themselves enough to trust Him. It's pretty dangerous. Fear of man is pretty dangerous because it prevents unbelievers from trusting in Jesus. It's blinding. And if, as we're going through this study right now, and you've, you've, you're realizing you're in this category of like, whoa, I've never really heard some of this stuff before, and my life is consumed with this. Maybe I've professed faith in Jesus, but at the operational level, this is all I'm about. If you've loved the praise of men your entire life, and now you're rattled by it, praise God. That is a sweet gift from the Lord. That's very good news. It likely means that the Lord is at work in your soul. It's a good indicator that he's opening your eyes to your problem and is working to liberate you from it as you turn to him in faith. So that is a sweet thing. Don't don't pull away from the rattling. Press into it because it means God's at work. And that's the the initial danger is that the fear of man is one of our fundamental reasons we won't come to Christ. But even after we've recognized it, 
So for the believer, even after the Lord has saved us, we're not completely free from the temptation to fear man. Peter's our classic example here of this. We often slip back into it. So the second danger is that it it renders us incapable of serving Christ because we're enslaved to the desires of others. The fear of man renders us incapable of serving Christ because we are at times enslaved to the desires of others. You know, that's a mouthful, so I'll say it one more time. We are incapable of serving Christ because we are enslaved to the desires of others. And when I say enslaved there, what what I mean is not in the same category as you were as an unbeliever, but it's just it's just like a habitual sin for you. Like this is really, really difficult. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians 1.10. Flip over to Galatians. And I, I love what Paul says here, because it's one of the texts that had most motivated me to deal with this uh, as I see it in my life. Paul says in Galatians 1.10, He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul says, If I were still trying to please man, if that was modus operandi of my heart, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Why? Because they're antithetical. We can only serve one master, not two masters, would be another way to say this. One's always going to take preeminence over the other. And if we live our lives out of the fear of man, that means we're enslaved to men. We're returning back to that slavery that we've been delivered from. We're controlled by those people rather than being controlled by Christ. So one, one author says it like this, just pretty pointedly. He says, being a people pleaser is like having a little handle on your back that others can grab a hold of to push you and pull you in all directions. Pretty helpful imagery. It's like having a little handle on your back that people can just push and pull you around however they want to do it. Because you're controlled by people. That's what it means to be enslaved to men. But Paul tells us that this is not what God desires for us. It's not why he saved us. He he says that God has gone to great lengths to free his people from enslavement to others. 1 Corinthians 7.23 Paul says that we were bought with a price by God. He says we are bought with a price to be his servants and we shouldn't, therefore, become slaves of men. We shouldn't go back to this sort of servitude to other human beings in the sense of, of being controlled by these people. Are we supposed to serve people? Yeah. But again, what, what's our motive in serving people? Out of the, the pleasure of Christ. Because we've been redeemed by Him. And we're free to serve. But when we fear men, one of the dangers is that we are in actuality enslaving ourselves to other people. But, on the other hand, as we learn to crucify our fear of men, as we learn to live for the glory of God, we become incredibly useful vessels. That's the other side of this coin. The Lord will entrust us with more responsibility and He will cause our lives to bear glorious fruit. So, more on this next time, but I'll I'll just read, kind of, just to incentivize you a bit, from 1 Thess 2, sort of the positive side of this. Paul's recounting when he he came to to the Thessalonians with the Gospel. He says, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Listen to this language. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So what's he saying there? He's saying that we were approved by God. Approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And we came to you, truthfully. Not trying to please you, but trying to give you what's true. And so I think the the positive side of this coin is that as we're crucifying the fear of man in our hearts, we're becoming more useful to the Lord in being entrusted with things like Paul's entrusted with the gospel, with ministry, with 
with people work is we're going to be we're going to be free to do the work of the ministry for them. Because if you're bound up by the fear of man, you're not free to do ministry. False point. You're preoccupied with what they think of you. So you're not going to serve them. You're not going to serve them. It's a huge danger. We're incapable of serving Christ because we are enslaved to the desires of others. And then third danger is we risk the loss of eternal reward. We risk the loss of eternal reward. You can write down Matthew 6 on this. There's a, a text here, and I'll just summarize it for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us not to practice our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He says in verse 1, Matthew 6, 1, Don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, don't serve the Lord out of the motive of getting praise for it from men. Don't let that drive you as your, as your motive. Don't do righteous acts for the admiration of others. Why? Because, Jesus says, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. No reward from your Father. Zero. If you serve with the wrong motive. Being rewarded by Christ, okay, is not some carnal motivation in the Bible. Sometimes I think we treat it that way, like, oh, there's somebody focused on rewards. Well, no, Christ motivates us with rewards. The Bible, the biblical authors motivate us with rewards all the time. It's actually one of the major motivations in Scripture. Christ's reward is an eternal reward, one that lasts beyond the grave, into the kingdom, and on into the eternal state. You can even say it that way, right? So, you know, state, outside of time. I don't know. Think about that. We'll get back to that later. Um, when we pretend that we love the Lord, when in actuality we really love the praise of men, um, all of our obedience, get this, all of our obedience isn't accruing anything for us. Nothing. He says you have your reward. When they're like, oh, you did a great job. You're like, and you're like, just that's, a, that's that like juicy morsel for you, and that's what you're living for. That's it. That's all you've got. That work that you just did to get that praise is going to burn up at the return of Christ. It's going to accrue you nothing. But the flip side is as you are motivated by the fear of God, the love of God, the worship of God, to good works. All of that is going to reap eternal blessing on your head that you ultimately don't even deserve, but God's going to give it to you anyway because he's so lavishly gracious. So we'll talk more about that side of it later, but that's a huge motivation to deal with the fear of man in our hearts. And then number four, last one, last motivation, or last warning, or what do we say? What is this? Confuse my own outline here. The last danger, there it is, the last danger is that we open ourselves up to other sinful temptations with the fear of man. We open ourselves up to other sinful temptations. The sin just starts compounding. And this is often what we see. This is the stuff that's sort of visible. Um, temptations such as being susceptible to flattery. Right? So you want, you want, to, you want it to keep coming. You feel better about yourself because you esteem the praises of men. So you're susceptible to flattery. And then, they really don't care about you. They stab you in the back. There's lots of problems with flattery. Um, But we're susceptible to it when we fear man. And then on the other side of that, we flatter with our speech. We definitely flatter um, with our words whenever we want people to esteem us. Just do this check. After you've entered, after you've like, been in a conversation, like, go away and ask yourself, do I really think that about that person? Like, what I just said? As I was praising them or whatever? Like, was that genuine? Or was there some other motive going on in that? So that's what flattery is. It's an attempt to, to say something you don't mean to win approval. Uh, it, it opens us up to things like indecision. We talked about that earlier. You can't make a decision because you're scared of, of the fallout on either side. It opens us up to, to caving to the pressures of others. We talked about that. Um, it opens us up to crushing anxiety 
and depression. You might not think about that. Whenever you're interacting with your friend, they're anxious and depressed, and it's crushing them, and they're on medication and all those things, and you want to help them, you might not realize, oh, wow, they fear man. That's at the, that not, it's not always the case, but lots of times it's the case where that is a root issue for these folks, that, and they're going to need to learn to repent of that and begin to worship the Lord. Uh, it opens ourselves up to sinful temptations like choosing the wrong friends. Because we want a certain kind of person to feel better about ourselves. So we surround ourselves with the wrong kind of people. And then that creates other complications and problems. Uh, It opens us up to discontentment and to greed. It opens us up to hypocrisy, like we've said before, and and to to boasting, to speaking highly of ourselves, to to court approval. So there's all kinds of things. We could just keep going on this list. But I just want to suffice it to say that we're just opened up fear of man leads to all these other things. So if we can deal then with the fear of man, then the implication is we're gonna, it's gonna, the downstream effect is going to be positive in all these other fruits that are, that are glorious and good and um, helpful. So the goal of highlighting the dangers, those four dangers, is that it creates the urgency in us to deal with the fear of man. Does that make sense? You won't actually take chemo until you've been convinced that you actually have cancer. So that's the, that's the point. We won't commit ourselves to the hard work of mortifying the fear of man unless we see that a lot is at stake eternally. Our souls are at stake, our usefulness to Christ is at stake, our real, eternal reward is at stake, and our fruitfulness now is at stake. And so as we, as we wrap up tonight, I know there's probably been a lot of exposure happening. You're probably seeing sin in your heart at a new, at a new level. Hopefully you have. Every time I study this topic, every time I think about it, it's convicting for me too. But I want to encourage you. When the Lord exposes us and brings conviction, it's because He loves us. Hebrews 12. Okay, It's because He loves us. He's humbling us to show us how much we actually need Him. He's showing us how bad sin really is and how destructive it can be in our lives. And conviction is the first step toward God's better path for you. It's the first step toward knowing His joy for you. And the glorious news in all this stuff is that although we are shot through with the fear of man, I mean, we're riddled with it. Even though we're just, at times, dominated by the false worship of other people, there's one man who never succumbed to the temptation. Christ never capitulated in his heart to the fear of man one time. That's what he says in John 5.41. He does not seek the glory of men. He never once feared men. And to those of us, why is that good news? Because to those of us who have believed in him, to those of us who are shot through with the fear of man, his perfect righteousness is credited to us. Even to those of us who have idolized the opinions of other creatures above the Creator. Our God loves you in spite of your idolatry. And He sees Christ's perfect obedience in your place. He sees you and He sees the fear of God on your life if you're in Christ. Because of Christ. Not because of your perfection. And because He's your Father... He's not going to let you return back to the total enslavement of the fear of man. You're not going to go back there. He will discipline you because He loves you. Even tonight is a means of that end of the good Father in your life to expose and convict and to lead you to repentance maybe in a particular area. So why do I say that? Rejoice. Like It's His love for you that's, that's leading us down that path. And like I said earlier, if you've never believed the, 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 if you've never, excuse me, if you've never breathed the free air of enslavement to Christ, um, if you've only ever lived completely in enslavement to other people, you can turn from that tonight, in this moment. You can turn to Christ, and He will forgive you, and will credit you with that perfect righteousness that you need. And if you have questions about any of this, we would love to talk to you after, afterwards. 
And in the next few weeks, we're going to look more in depth at the fear of God. We're going to look at how to cultivate the fear of God in place of the fear of man. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to the study together. I think it's going to be really helpful, even for my own soul. So pray for me as we, we work through that and any of the other guys that are going to come in and, and teach on this topic. And um, yeah, may the Lord produce his fruit in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you even for your exposure. We thank you that the scriptures um, are clear and uh, you expose the, the darkness even that's still within us. And we're thankful just for your love for us in spite of it all. It doesn't mean that you don't love us. In fact, it's the opposite. It does mean that you, you love us dearly and you want us to be used greatly by you um, as we learn to uh, fear you above people. So help us see how this impacts us on a daily, even moment-by-moment level, and um, help us learn in weeks to come what it looks like to, uh, to fear you in these situations, and help us to experience the joy that comes as a result of, of trusting you, we pray in Jesus' name.